Now, on this segment, we are going to discuss colorism and attitudes towards black hair. However, it's probably a good idea to explain some of the terms being used in this context. Uh, when I say black people and black hair, I'm referring to people of black African descent, and that's a category that encompasses people of African descent who have mixed ancestry as well. Uh, you'll hear the term Afro-Caribbean, and by this we mean black Caribbean people. Uh, now, colorism, uh, firstly, is a social problem in virtually every uh, black society in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, it's true in the United States, it's true in Brazil, uh, it's true in Spanish-speaking countries such as the Dominican Republic, and it is certainly true wherever you encounter uh, black people in the English-speaking Caribbean. Uh, colorism, in a nutshell, is our value for different tones of skin and the way we value ourselves and each other accordingly. Uh, so to be frank, underlying our collective social consciousness is a sense of aesthetic value for human bodies uh, and the idea that dark skin is undesirable and unattractive. Uh, the opposite end of this spectrum is lighter skin, which we seem to value and appreciate more uh, the lighter a person of African descent is. Uh, this can be a very covert, yet uh, overt form of prejudice, uh, subtle at times and blatant at other times, uh, but always constant. Uh, academics and researchers will trace this norm uh, in black societies in the Americas back to colonial slave societies, uh, which married the idea of blackness, and by this I mean having dark skin, uh, with the idea of ugliness and low worth. Uh, this was a highly racialized society where one's race and appearance were directly associated with one's economic status and social status. And while the constraints of economic status have been Oh, while the constraints of economic status being inextricably tied to race and color have uh, mostly left us, mostly, uh, socially we have passed on a view from generation to generation that darkness is wrong and lightness is right, and darkness is ugly and lightness is pretty. Uh, the result is that we have become hyper-color conscious in many cases, seemingly as individuals, unable to stop making value judgments of others and ourselves uh, that don't involve the tone of someone's skin, uh, the nature of their features, and also even the texture of their hair. And this brings me to the second issue, related very much to the first, and that is attitudes towards black hair. How often have you heard that black hair, kinky and coily as it normally is, is nappy, unkempt, ugly, or some other form of derogation, and usually coming from the mouth of someone whose hair grows just like yours? Uh, now this has been me putting a complex issue into a plain and succinct form for the sake of this introduction. On this segment, we'll ask what effect does this form of prejudice have on each of us individually and on us as a community, and is there any hope of ever ending it? And joining our panel for this discussion, we're happy to have Dr. Monique Kelly. Uh, she is a Dean's Research Associate at the Department of Sociology at Michigan University. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. Kelly. Yeah. Uh, her research focuses broadly on racial and ethnic identities, attitudes, and inequality, and her current research agenda looks at colorism, stratification, and inequality comparatively within the English-speaking Caribbean and the larger black diaspora. We also have with us Miss Lenisa George. Miss Lenisa George is an activist, a writer, and a storyteller uh, whose work focuses on the Afro-Caribbean experience of black women and girls. Uh, good afternoon to you, Miss Lenisa George. And she's joining us presently. Um, we have on this panel as well Mr. Glenn Toussaint. Mr. Glenn Toussaint is a poet, a storyteller, and the owner of the Ten Pages Bookstore. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Glenn Toussaint. Hello, good afternoon. And am I pronouncing your last name correctly? 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, lovely. I just I like I like to make sure. Uh, we also have uh, finally on this panel joining us from Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Miss Marisha Duncan. Uh, Miss Marisha Duncan is a PhD student in cultural studies in Trinidad and Tobago. She's a second year PhD student, and her focus is on natural black hair and natural black hairstyles, uh, represent representation and identity formation. Good afternoon to you, Miss Marisha Duncan. Good afternoon. It's nice to be on the panel. And I believe Miss uh, Lenisa George, uh, can you hear me now? We, we were having a little difficulty earlier. Miss Lenisa George, can you hear me? Hi, good afternoon. I'm here. Lovely. Um, I think I will start off the, 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 the questions with uh, Miss Monique Kelly. Um, can you, uh, just, to, just to open us up, can you, well, I'll ask you what you, what you thought of the the characterization, how I characterized colorism, whether you would agree, uh, what your view of it is, and also whether you could share an experience of colorism that sort of made the nature of the issue uh, very clear to you. Uh, so hi, everyone. So if I got your questions correctly, so it's first how you describe colorism. And then so largely I agree with how it was defined. I guess my only thing or caveat is for the definition of black hair. And I think restricting black hair to just being kinky or coily is also a limited view of what black hair is because the black dust, people are diverse, right? So there are black people with naturally straight hair and all of that thing. But again, the focus is on, I understand why the focus is on um, kinky or coily hair, I should say. I don't like the word kinky can be interesting. Um, so um, what you asked me was also my experience with colorism that made things clear. And then so one thing that sort of like um, kicked off the research that I do, right, is because growing up in Jamaica, um, there are certain views you have of how that race isn't something that is salient, right? However, moving to the U.S., it sort of open up your eyes to like view things that happen in Jamaica. So one thing that sort of pushed or prompted my research was an example in um, undergrad where there are other Jamaicans and we were talking about politics in Jamaica. And then so I said, um, we as black people, and that's how I started my statement. And so I was sort of laughed at. And then so my friends at that point were just like, well, there are three black people at this table, you're not one of them. And then so I had to say like, no, no, no. Um, and so I understand why that was said in terms of how colorism is structured in Jamaica. And in Jamaica, if you're not dark skinned people, don't necessarily call you black and that sort of narrative. But sort of understanding like um, these views um that we have and thinking more um generally about how race structures these right and sort of like how race structures these interpretations because there is the understanding of colorism and how that definitely privileged individual but then there's also the component of race right outside of um our own communities and how that affects each of us mm. Um, uh, let me ask, uh, let me put the same question to Miss Lenisa George, whether or not, uh, well, I'll ask you uh, basically two questions. How would you characterize colorism and whether or not you could share an experience that uh, has stuck with you as demonstrating how much of an, an issue it is? Yeah, so for me, um, the definition that I go with is the prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. And that has been my lived experience for nearly 40 years of my life. Um, in most cases, I've always been the darker person in the room. Um, I was bullied a lot in primary school, um, not so much in high school. And then I also wear my hair natural. 
Um, so there was those two components that I had to deal with. So my experience is, is a book of them. Um, I have worked at workplaces where I have been um, graded low for presentation, and that was because of my hair. I've missed out on job opportunities because of my hair. Um, in primary school, I was, you know, bullied a lot. Um, my most famous poem, Brown Girl in the Ring, was, um, that's, that's my lived experience in the sense of being a dark-skinned black girl and wanting to be the brown girl because that was deemed pretty. And although I was a black girl, I wasn't a pretty black girl. I was a black black girl. Um, and just having to navigate that um, really shaped how I realizing how others viewed me, not so much how I viewed myself, because I was always safe when I got home. My parents always reiterated to me how beautiful and how smart and how deserving of everything I was. Um, my two younger sisters, I'm the eldest of three, are lighter than I am. And people would make distinction, you know, like a friend would bring back like a gift and it would bring for my two younger sisters and not me. And my mom would be, no, I have three daughters. You didn't bring something for all three, so nobody gets any. So um, regardless of what was happening outside um, and having to deal with that at different levels, at different stages in my life, I always felt comfortable at home because my parents from an early, early, early stage understanding that that was my experience in society taught me to understand what that was and how I should navigate um navigate my life and my experience and my my story i should say because of that and uh, let me uh, let me ask mr glenn Toussaint, uh, also joining us uh, in antigua and barbuda um your experience if you could share an experience with us of colorism whether from your perspective or somebody else's and uh, how, how you would characterize the issue well i must say that um it wasn't it has been something that is so integrated within our society that um i didn't really notice <laughs> until i got older so um let me clarify so firstly um i'm from dominica and i i spent my life between antigua and dominica now Living in Dominica is not like we don't have black people, but <laughs> when I say black people, I mean dark-skinned people. Uh, but I'm I'm a light-skinned person. And my wife tends to to crack jokes about that, right? And um, we, it wasn't until I I was becoming a teenager I started to notice um, certain things, um, certain words that were being used. For example, uh, lighter-skinned persons in Dominica we call them shabe. Right, that's the the term that we use. It's a French term, and you would notice that the interests would be towards the lighter skin persons, the more shabby. So, as guys would be, would be saying things like, um, your, "Your preference would be this belle girl or this this shabby girl," and you notice it as you go into the professional areas. So banking uh, the more white collar work you find lighter skin people and it's so integrated within society our societies that we don't really make particular notice about it it's become like a matter of fact thing you step into the bank you expect the teller to be light skin if you see a darker skin teller then you would 
it, you would draw your attention to that. It, it, it would be out of the norm. However, the more blue collar work you would notice to be darker skinned persons. Um, attractiveness has also been linked towards, attractiveness has also been linked to, you know, your complexion. Um, as kids, we would um, make fun of the darker skinned person and say, oh, you ugly dark skinned person or you, your nutty head um, person and whatnot. So as far as my experience go, I guess um, being of a lighter skin, I was never really on the negative end. And it was never much of, it's, it never became a, a thing for me until I actually left Dominica and came to Antigua where I, the population has a much the ratio in terms of darker skin leans more towards the darker skin uh, as compared to Dominica. And that's when I started encountering more of that. Um, and the distinction became more pronounced for me. Okay. Uh, let me bring in Miss uh, Marisha Duncan uh, in Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, same two questions, which would be uh, how would you characterize uh, colorism uh, and uh, the issue of how we, 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 we view um, uh, the hair of persons from of African descent, and uh, if you could share any experience with us that sort of drove home the issue for you. Yes, um, I think I have a, a myriad of experiences from having a sister in terms of hair texture that quote unquote is soft, so far removed from the end of the continuum spectrum of kinky hair, and being juxtapositioned always and having family members note, you know, in terms of the differences. I think that was my first understanding of the divide. Um, in secondary school, I remember we would apply puns to our faces, the my darker friends to lighten up, to fair up our skin. And these things were rooted not in what we did, not the practices that we did, but I think it was rooted in the idea that it would make us better in terms of social access, attractability, marriageability. And these are all issues that we face and we continue to face. But the insertion as to why we face these things, I think is the root of many discussions. And that historical encounter that we had, the colonial encounter, it shapes so much of our lives that we do things that we don't even recognize. So being a student at the University of the West Indies, St. Augustine, I started reading more. And of course, my, my mental was on repairing, reproducing, destabilizing. However, I felt within myself that I needed to address certain traumas. And looking at what colorism is, I think it's more than just something that affects persons of darker skin tones. I think that also affects persons of lighter skin tones. So often we would hear of the, the impact on persons of darker skin tones. But I think the idea of what it is really is meant to maintain the status quo and to allow the classes to remain divided. And I, I'm sounding so much like a Marxist, but I'm looking at that idea of natural hair being celebrated not as something that we often would just bypass, but something that we hold true to. And why do we hold true to it? Why do we celebrate natural black hair? Something that grows from my head. Why do I celebrate this? I think those questions are important for us to ask. 
and looking at how we create these narratives around our experiences i also think it's it's we need to pay careful attention to it so for a dark-skinned individual who has natural hair i think my experiences were not they were not blinded experiences but my experiences were meant to allow me to understand why telling a child you are pretty and not just you're pretty for a black girl or telling someone um you know their skin tone is nice and not saying it is nice simply because of the, the shade but saying things that are not loaded saying things that do not have such powerful impact i think is important and coming back to you, uh, Ms. Kelly, um, the issue of just how uh, pervasive it is, uh, I mean, we've, we've gotten out of the experiences thus far, uh, how colorism tends to affect people, and the, the, the memory of it goes back quite a lot to school. I think everybody has a period where they, they, they sort of come to a realization uh, when they're aware of themselves and aware of uh, various social ills that are around them in society, and they, they realize uh, how we think and interact with each other. Um, just give us a sense of uh, what research it is that you do and um, how uh, deep the issue of colorism is in your estimation. Right. And then so I think a lot of times people restrict colorism to just these ideologies that we have and these sort of informal um, sanctions that people put on people in terms of like, um, so again, I didn't say this, but like my I am also um, considered lighter skin, right? And then so like my aunt or family, um, san um, sanctioning how I spoke. So if I spoke part of it, I'd be like, you can't speak of that for like for someone that's brown, right? Um, so, but I think it's more than that. And then so the research that I do um, looks at racial classification, at, um, how they're defined in terms of US categorization, but also skin color and looking at outcomes such as education, um, income, but also looking at um, what I call um, household amenities. Do people, based on like skin color and race, do people have access to an uh, in indoor bathroom, indoor plumbing, a microwave, washing machine, and these things, um, some parts of the world may be um, thought of as necessities. Do people have these necessities? And then so what I found, particularly when I looked, um, did this my research on Jamaica, is that skin color does organize who have these things, right? And so um, those who are lighter have more years of education. Um, so there's a skin color scale that was used, obviously, but looking at someone who would be considered extremely light, very fair, whatever that is, compared to someone who is extremely dark, that sometimes add up to like a two-year difference in education. And as we know, in the Caribbean school system, that could be the difference between having a high school degree or not, having an associate degree versus not having a high school degree, right, or having even some level of college education. Um, of course, the same is true for um, income outcomes, right? And this is household income, right? Um, so again, these things are more than simply just um, narratives of what people may say, what is better, what is pretty, but they have these in these very systematic outcomes and disadvantages or advantages to people based on their skin color. And uh, Miss Lanisa George, uh, we've been speaking about effects. Uh, what effect uh, does experiencing colorism um well regardless of, of skin tone but uh usually it is uh, a lot of negative attitudes towards persons with darker skin uh what effect does that have on an individual navigating life uh, their ability to, to to work their ability to 
to, to, to be appreciated, to be valued? What sort of effect does that have on an individual? Well, for me, even as somebody who's been through life experiencing colorism, I still think I operate from a place of privilege because I got an early understanding of what was happening and why it was happening from my parents. So that level of communication there was open. So at the primary school level, I was bullied because I was darker. You know, anytime somebody wanted to insult me, it would be your black so-and-so. Um, when I went into, when I started high school, um, I was trying with the, the relaxed hair and literally my hair was damaged at the end of first form. My mother's like, I'm cutting it off. And I cut off all of my hair. So I had a boy cut and I cried um, because now I genuinely thought I wasn't beautiful. Given, you know, my mom's been explaining and reiterating that you're beautiful, you matter, whatever else not. But it does not change that it took a while for me to actually accept that for myself. Because, yes, my mom and my dad would say so and my sisters as well, too, and persons in the, the, the family circle or whatever. But when I stepped out in society, that was a different experience. My best friend is very light skinned with quote unquote, you know, what society deems, you know, nice, not nice hair, nice curly hair, whatever. And for high school and most of when we were um, at state college doing A-levels, people would talk over me to speak to her, you know? So those are things. So I wouldn't say I had a chip on my shoulder, but I was very aware that I was treated differently from others around me because I was dark skinned. I wasn't expected to accomplish much. Um, I was always reminded that I needed to present myself better than others because I was at a disadvantage because I was darker. Um, the only two business places I ever worked at that my hair wasn't an issue was one, I had a, a, a white, the owner for the company was white. So for whatever reason, they didn't care. And then my first job out of um, state college after I finished A-levels, I had relaxed hair. So wore my hair, that is quote unquote, you know, acceptable in society. Everything after that, um, I remember a job that I got, I had a very short hair and as it started to grow, the HR manager actually called me in to talk to me about what it is that I'm going to be doing with my hair. And I said, I don't understand. And she said to me, you know, it's, it's looking very haphazard. Um, so what are we going to do about it? And I said, what do you want me to do? Well, you know, if I could put it in braids until it grows out and then, you know, it's much manageable, um, there must be some sort of hairstyles that I could use. And I felt so defeated after that conversation. My best friend's a lawyer, so I called her about it. And she said, there's very little that we can do unless they put it on paper, because that is actually illegal. Um, that same HR had um, graded me low presentation because of how I kept my hair. This is me growing out the hair that's on my head. Um, what Dr. Kelly and Ms. Duncan have said or talk about, even reiterating language about how we talk to young Black women. I'm very aware that I never say that you're pre I don't reiterate and attach Black and dark to it. You are pretty. You are beautiful. I also do my best not to always focus on the physical, but I always ask them what it is that you like, because um, I mentor a lot of young women. And I know how important it is as it comes to language and communication, because I knew how I felt at that age. I was very aware 
of what I was being told, what my parents would say, what society would say, how others would treat me. I was very, very aware of it. So I always go into places thinking that I am operating from a place of disadvantage up to this day. Let me uh, let me bring in Mr. Glenn Toussaint, and I, I would ask you just to, um, on the issue of, of, of how we treat black hair, what has been your experience with that? What have you observed in society and the effect that it, it has on people and on us as a community? Here, here's a big issue for me. Um, from since um, my teenagers, I think that we express ourselves through our hairstyle and more often than not, I find that the way that we address hair um, from a professional standpoint within our community tends to be very oppressive. And I, I, I really can't, I really can't say um, like what we can actually do about this. I know for a fact that for a long time I wanted to grow locks. It is something that's in my family, but it is something that is frowned upon everywhere you go. Um, people have issues with it and what it represents because hair speaks. It, it does make a statement. It talks about um, your mentality, your view of yourself and your view of society, whether you're rebelling or you're conforming. And quite frankly, I don't think there should really be an issue with how persons choose to wear their hair, um, whether they want to grow it out or cut it out, This, no matter the environment, as long as you are well-groomed. And there's a difference between the style that you choose to wear versus whether you are actually groomed or not, whether you're neat, you're clean, and that sort of thing. And we as human beings, we should have the freedom of expression and we should enjoy our hair. We should love it because how we wear our hair, how we choose to take care of our hair shows whether or not, you know, we actually love ourselves. If that make any sense or I'm just rambling, but... That's my view. Uh, Miss Miss Marisha and Duncan, I think I'll, I'll stick this question in here. Um, do you think that there needs to be a, 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 an attempt at sensitization uh, of this problem in schools uh, from a very early level? Because it is a problem in black societies. And inevitably, uh, persons are bullied in school. I mean, like you literally get everyone who says that, um, that their experience, because children are awful. I mean, we as children, we're, we're awful. Or at least when we were children, if, we're, if I'm speaking to all the people here right now, we're not children, but when we were children, uh, as children, children tend to be awful. Um, do you think it's worth uh, having a program of sensitization in schools where we talk about the issue of colorism so that persons can be aware of it and also be aware of when they're doing it, uh, and so that there can be some attempt to uh, you know, arm persons with the tools to recognize that this that is happening is actually not a good thing, um, and you know, share the experiences with persons who have had to navigate um, uh, life dealing with it. I definitely think so. I think it should not only begin in the education system, but it needs to occur in the house, the first place of socialization, because as Mr. George stated, he has an expression of self. It allows you to express your inner thoughts, your inner feelings, and your personality. And having constraints of your black hair, not only is discrimination, but it prevents you from being holy, from being your whole self. And that idea of education being used, the school system being used as a means to, you know, allow others to understand what otherness is, I think is important because we are in a Caribbean context 
and we are faced with these things and this is nothing new this is something that has occurred for since slavery it ended slavery ended in 1888 but it continued and the ramifications for here not only is seen within the education system but within professional spaces and that really is the interest of my research looking at the impact of natural black hairstyles in the airline industry because we have for example policies on dress and grooming that reinforce certain stereotypes of what is as mr george say well groomed what is well groomed in the context of someone who has a fro so the the idea of um well, just to jump in just to jump in our last speaker was mr glenn toussaint um, glenn toussaint i yeah. do apologize no problem no problem I do apologize. Yes, um, you know, just to, to focus on the education system, I think would be limited. And I think a, a good way to start is to recognize that the, the words that are used to describe hair in itself is, you know, very biased. Why is it that I have to straighten my hair? Is it that my hair is crooked? Why do I have to attach my hair to, as to the word kinky? You know, something that is not very um, straight, very solid, very... Um, fashionable why do i attach certain hairstyles with certain movements i think we need to recognize that um just beyond the education system conversations are important and facing conversations in the home will allow you to understand why certain um discriminations and why certain stereotypes continue because um in the home we are able to face those things we're able to ask our parents you know why do you prefer this over that why is it that you know you continue to uh, perpetuate a certain ideal of what beauty is and recognizing also that the beauty and the hair and beauty industry is very european based it's, it's based on eurocentric features of what beauty is and destabilizing those things um, allowing natural hair products um, allowing you know local products that cater towards natural hair to be highlighted i think all of those are important in order to disrupt narratives uh, and coming to you uh miss kelly in terms of uh, dealing with the issue what do you think uh, are the possibilities uh, do you think that we are, are stuck with a way of thinking uh, amongst ourselves that will never change right and then so i would like to push this more so than just ways of thinking right because these these things are very systematic and structural in terms of maintaining a hierarchy that prefers um whiteness or lightness right um so thinking beyond um just again ways of thinking as lenissa mentioned like these is not the simple way of thinking it has very real world consequences in terms of mobility and how people um again it talks about um presumptions of capability whether that be educationally or skill wise right um so for me i would think more so in terms of having policies right or policies in place again going back to the example that Lisa gave right when an employer calls you in and says something like that to you when there are not policies when you can definitely um take action for when you're disadvantaged in certain situation because of how hair is perceived or how other things um, tied to colorism, skin color, whatever is perceived. So um, there are studies that show that teachers give more favorable conditions to lighter skinned students than to darker skinned students, right? So teacher expectation, who they may have higher expectations for, definitely plays into like self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of how well students do in school. Um, 
there are things like that. And when we think about punitive measures and who is punished more harshly, skin color also does very much tie into that. So I think first and foremost, there needs to be policy that um, talks about this. Then it will be easier to implement these things in education, in the workforce where these things um so when they're like punitive measures about like disadvantaged people saying um, very colorist things to individual, I think that would give people um, the initiative to act better <laughs> and not sort of um, have these sort of narratives prevail when there are consequences att attached to um, spreading, continuing or maintaining these hierarchical, hierarchical structures around skin color. And then so I want to talk about um, Marisha's point about hair rights and that's why I said at the beginning I had an issue with the word kinky because kinky means something that is deviant. And understandably even um, though Glenn even talked about hair being uh, a representation or reflection of personality, at the same time to push back against that is like why is it that we limit black people to just some total of their hair? Right, and I think it's interesting why hair can't just be here for black people. And again, it applies to these very structural things. So why does natural hair has to speak about something radical or these very um, limited understanding about what is be what is kempt, what does taking care of mean, right? What does doing your hair mean, and what does that symbolize? So. Um, that's also something I like to talk about. Well, of, co of course, here is important in terms of talking about um, pushing back against European standards of beauty. But again, it's like here should just be here for everyone, right? And that again talks about the limits of how we are confined um, as Black individuals to freedom to express ourselves without any sort of other interpretation being placed on how we choose to be. Uh, uh, Miss Lenisa George, do you do you have you observed um, uh, it ever occurring that uh, division is 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 further created within a group of people um, by persons who have experienced colorism? Um, well, we all experience colorism, uh, whether we're benefiting from it or, or not benefiting from it. Uh, but uh, let's say uh, somebody of darker skin um, and basically persons of lighter skin are told you are not black enough you you can't claim this pain you can't claim this struggle uh, and so in so doing you 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 create division uh, have you seen that occur have you have you seen persons being told uh, as uh, 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 miss kelly said in the introduction that they are not black enough no she's very much correct as dr kelly and 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 Marissa have uh, specified like it's part of a, a larger system so it's a larger conversation. So why we're we talking about one aspect is part of a bigger thing. So there is that. I like to quote and call it quote unquote and call it in-house fighting. So um, there's this particular statement. I forgot what you call it. Um, or something Olympics they call it. But basically, it's like you can't speak on it's this matter. Because, sorry. Advantage Olympics. Yes. <laughs> yes. So basically, it's the the big thing about me being able to say you can't speak on the black experience as a light-skinned person because you have not dealt with the um, disadvantages that I've dealt with. So therefore, your definition or your experience and understanding of your blackness is nowhere as, as a bigger measure as mine. So there is that division right there. 
Um, but a lot of it comes from, as we said before, is the systems that are in place. As I said, you know, when the situation happened with the HR, I was concerned about, no, I needed to address this. And I was very young and trying to figure out how to navigate that, wanting to keep my job because I needed to eat, I needed to support myself, but still feeling very restrained in this place that this here was not acceptable. Also, I'm in agreement with the fact of why is it black natural hair, quote unquote, is seen as something revolutionary. And it is because it's not something that, you know, we're much better now um, that we've deemed acceptable somewhat. So when I would wear my hair, it was always be, oh, it needs to be restrained. And I always define it as, is you restricting my blackness and my black joy? Um, how we also, you know, anybody that's growing locks, we want them to be quote unquote fashion locks. So free forming locks is a problem. Oh, that's not well kept here. That's dirty here. So there's all that conversation about these different levels of black expression. And it, it, it becomes so cumbersome because you just, can I just be? Like, how <laughs> can I exist in this world as I see fit? as I feel comfortable having to take professional pictures and having to literally worry about how I'm going to wear my hair because it's important what kind of messaging I'm put out. If I have my hair out, it's like, oh, you know, she's very woke and she this and that. No, I really love to see my afro. Can I wear it out? Um, and then also I have very light skinned friends as well too. And I, the ones that are in my circle, I've never had any issue with how they've communicated. They have a very good understanding of my experience. I have an understanding of theirs. A lot of it has to do with me being self-aware of my situation, wanting to change it and deciding, okay, what can I do um, with my understanding and the power that I have to make that difference? How I navigate, how I navigate, how I talk to young women, regardless of if they're lighter or darker skin. How I interact with men as well too is super important because I have experienced disrespect with men because I am a dark-skinned black girl. Let me ask him. Whatever love mm -hmm. is being given. Let me let me bring in Mr. Glenn to say it. I, I want to ask you, do you think, um, because I have to tell you, when I, when I uh, was looking for panelists, um, I noticed, and I could be entirely wrong, but I noticed that investigations into these issues of hair uh, and colorism, um, I, I, I'm also finding it is women that are doing them. Uh, so I want to ask Mr. Glenn Toussaint whether or not you, you think that colorism affects, affects, sorry, I just said affects, affects uh, a black women more than black men. Um, I would say yes. I would say yes. Overtly, um, yes, I could say that. Uh, because women are under a, a lot of scrutiny, right? And um, we find that they tend to be, um, we, we tend to notice there are more comments put towards um, women more for what they do. In society um, because I guess that's that's just the way the twisted way our society is is set up and it could also be the fact that um, historically men typically just don't discuss you know their issues um, of course speaking broadly um, Lenisa said a lot of things that had me nodding my head um, some of her experiences I, I mean I may not have 
gone through them, but I've certainly seen persons who've encountered these sort of things, um, men and women. Uh, for, in particular, when she was talking about um, being professional and, and being accepted. And the other lady, I can't remember her name, she said, why can't here just be here? And the whole infighting thing. Um, when I was growing my locks, at a certain point, I had an issue because I find that my locks just was not growing the way I think locks should have been grown, which is that quote-unquote nice way. I call it bank locks. It looks very, very neat. My hair is fuzzy, and it took me a very long time to come to terms to that. I had a friend recently. He started to grow locks, and then his parents say, what is this rubbish you're growing on your hair? And for him to cut it off, and he did. And this is the sort of thing, but he, he would never talk about it, right? Yeah, but this is the sort of thing that we see pervading our society. And I think the way that we can combat this sort of thing is to education. Once you know, you find that things become a bit different in terms of how you approach it. When I was growing up, I thought that the best hair was um, the white blonde long hair or the, the Chinese, the long Chinese flowing hair, silky and, and, and smooth looking. And it took an awakening and education to make me understand that all hair is good, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and hair is, is part of our identity. And if I am to love myself, I have to love what I have on my head as well, too. And I, I quite honestly, I think the hangups that we have over here is completely nonsense. It's complete nonsense. And I don't think that we should be pressuring anybody about their hair, not men and not women. Everybody should be free and fair to carry their head however they want it. And I think there are bigger issues um, that we need to tackle than just that, you know, so. Can yeah. I just join in quickly? Yes, yes, and then I'll go to Miss Marisha Duncan. Right, it's just about the issue with men and women. And then so we're socialized in terms of gender for men to be valued for in terms of economic stability, right? And then so while color, skin color may have um, assumptions maybe made about that, it is is financial stability, whereas women are socialized to be valued based on their beauty and their looks. And that is why women talk about it more because colorism definitely again talks, uh, we, we talked about it numerous times about um, how that signals what is beautiful or what is not. And then so I think in those side of gender dynamics, it would then be more salient for women in terms of how this affects one life and life chances because of those way, ways in which we're socialized, perceive um, um, gendered um, intimate relationships mm -hmm. and what is viewed as value for each gender separately. And uh, coming to you, Ms. Marisha Duncan, we are gonna have to end this segment. So I'll ask you to leave us with our final word um, and you can feel free to respond to all of what's been said. Uh, but what do you sure, want to do? Sure, and I would love to just um, highlight two things that Dr. Kelly and Mr. Toussaint said. Why can't hair just be hair, and why is not all hair good hair? So we have the global um, beauty and hair industry that is a billion-dollar industry. It continues to grow. It continues to expand. We have, of recent, as my best friend um, Lindwi told me, we had Miss Tessica Brown who utilized Gorilla Glue to lay her edges. So the ideals that we have in terms of what beauty and hair are, yeah, we, we say these things like, why can't hair just be hair? But it's not the reality. When you step out there and you go to a job, you want to ensure that whatever the policies are of the company that you're able to follow. And that means altering your hair, altering your natural hair. 
So again, we come down to the question of how can we disrupt these narratives? How can we disrupt policies and agendas that try to, to reshape and to alter the black woman's body? And it's important that we recognize the impact of it, the impact of what the hair, the global hair and beauty industry has done to, to black women from skin bleaching in Jamaica to hair alterations and and we have the extremes of them. We saw it recently with Tessica Brown, and we saw how the world reacted to her. There was a lot of laughter. She was ridiculed. But the impact of natural black hair and natural black hairstyles, it's, it's powerful. It's profound. And it takes us to a place of discussion and conversations. But we need to remain in reality. And that reality is that we, we date thinking of, OK, how, how would my child look? What type of hair texture would my child have? Am I going to have a, a, a late to school child? We think of these ideals simply because they are reinforced through the media. You turn on the television, you see, for example, you know, the main character, lighter skin, having, you know, curly hair, straight hair. You see these ideals. So we need as, um, you know, as, as citizens of, of this one Caribbean to really engage in narratives that promote the ideals that we would like. So instead of just, you know, pushing down certain realities, we need to face what is really occurring and, and recognize that that colonial encounter, it impacted on us and the consequences and the repercussions are far reaching, far reaching into our education system, into who we marry, into who we worship, various different aspects of our lives. But the main gist of it is for companies and, and persons who have that, that stance in terms of power to really, to really look at what is happening or what is the mm -hmm. impact of such things. And, and as Dr. Kelly said, stated, it's all to maintain the status quo. But why is it to maintain the status quo? Those are questions that we need to, to, to ask. ask. We're going to have to, um, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, we're going to have to be actually four minutes. Okay, over. just to close, um, <laughs> here matters for black women. It matters, it matters more than anything else for black women. Thank you. No problem. Uh, we, we want to say thanks to all four of our guests, uh, Dr. Monique Kelly, Ms. Lenisa George, uh, Mr. Glenn Toussaint, and Ms. Marisha Duncan. Thanks to all four of you for joining us this afternoon.